0: So
1: Thank you, Kevin. What a fascinating reading. Some consider this just to be myth. Some it's just a weird and wacky Bible story. Sunday school thing, something to entertain children with. Me? I reckon that's real. This is historical fact which we're talking about. (coughs) Anyway, I'm going to pray. Father, we pray that this ancient story out of the book of Genesis would have real relevance to our lives today. May we understand the incredible invitation that you are giving and that you are still giving. And may we also continue to invite others to enter into the ark of salvation. For we pray in Jesus name, Amen. The Bible's a fascinating book. It's a book which is full of invitations. And it begins here, this invitation that God is giving. And it continues to, through to the very last verses of the book of Revelation, where again, there is invitation. God is, is in the business of inviting people to come to Him. And I actually like that whole concept of invitation. It's nice to give someone an invitation, isn't it? You think so? Yeah. I like to give someone an invitation to something and come along and be part of something that's going to be great. The whole work of evangelism is also Invitation. Sometimes we make it think like, oh, this is such hard work. No, it's not. I'm just inviting someone to something terrific, to experience Jesus and to know heaven. How wonderful that is. So God is constantly inviting people to come to him for salvation, for the help that they need, for the things they lack in life. And it just absolutely thrills my soul that God would invite someone like me to experience him and to come to him. And as the Lord leads over the next few weeks, I want to explore some of the invitations that the Bible has. Great invitations, and I hope that they're going to to help you, to challenge you, and to be a blessing to your life as well. So we begin today with this first gospel invitation in the Bible. The word come, C-O-M-E, is used 1,972 times in the Bible. Prove me wrong. The first time it's used is in genesis chapter 7 verse 1 then the lord said to noah go into the ark well that's the niv version the king james version says the lord says to noah come into the ark so i thought hang on a second what's right is it come or is it go because they're different words in the hebrew it actually means both that's interesting I might say to to John sitting there, John, get up out of your chair and come over here. Part of it's a command and part of it is an invitation. Or go and get up out of your chair and come over here. A command and an invitation at the same time. And that's exactly what's happening here. God is calling Noah and his family to come into the ark so they might be saved from the floodwaters that he's about to send upon the earth. Interesting, isn't it, that God says, come. He's inviting them to himself. When I say come here, I want you to come and be with me. Interesting when I say to my children, come here. <laughs> That's a command and an invitation. Come into my presence. That's your own peril probably. <laughs> <laughs> but differently with God. So this invitation has my interest today, because even though this invitation was given thousands of years ago, God is still inviting people into the ark of safety. And I would like to to take this invitation and show you that the invitation still stands. i also like to show you that the invitation will do you no good unless you accept it and come in. Because the invitation is there, but it doesn't work unless you actually accept it. So Noah was invited into the ark. And if you and I are going to be saved, then we have to commit ourselves to accepting God's invitation as well. So I want to talk about the invitation of commitment today. God is calling you, every one of us, to come into an ark. And we need to heed his call and come today. So let's have a look at our Bible reading. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go, or come, into the ark, you and your whole family, because I found you righteous in this generation. Imagine it for a moment. The ark must have been an unusual sight on the plains of Mesopotamia. It's a huge wooden box, described here in my NIV as being 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. It's been built by a preacher and his three sons. took them 120 years to build it. Talk about a slow project, but there it was. And Noah had worked on the ark and he'd preached his message that torrential rain and terrible flood was going to come upon the earth. Now surely the people around about him must have thought he and his family were just mad. Especially since it hadn't rained. Hadn't rained yet in those days. That didn't happen. There was a mist that watered the earth at night time. Different things were happening. And never flooded either. So they're going, flood? What's that? Doesn't happen. Still Noah labors and he tells his neighbors that they need to come into the ark when it's finished if they want to be saved. He tells them over and over and over again that the ark he is building is the only hope that they have. Now his neighbors may have thought that Noah was insane and the ark he constructed must have looked rather out of place, this huge boat on dry ground. But Noah was right about everything he did and said. The ark he was building would be the only hope for humanity that they had in that generation. That ark would be a sanctuary for them against the storm of the wrath of God, which was brewing against the sin and evil found on the earth. Because as God had looked upon the earth, some of the things he saw disturbed him greatly. You might have to look look in your Bible, Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. When men began to increase in number on the earth and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children with them. They were the heroes of heroes of old, men of renown. Interesting what's going on there. There's an intermarriage going on. Now these particular words have caused so much confusion. Who are the Nephilim? And who are the sons of God? You know, some say, well, they're the angels that are intermarrying with people, or demons. Well, hello, that doesn't work. It's just physically not possible for that to happen. So who were these people? I can tell you who they were. It's really simple. Once you finally work it out, you are like, oh, really? Is that all it's about? There were two lines of human beings on the earth. There were the righteous line via Adam and his son, Seth, and the unrighteous line via Adam and his son, Cain. There were two lines of people. One line of people were the sons of God. They acknowledged God and worshipped him. And others were the ones who did not acknowledge God. When intermarriage occurred, that pollutes the line of God. That's as simple as it is. There you go. You heard it today at Doyles and Babs. So what's happening here is there's an intermarriage between the godly line of Seth and the ungodly offspring of Cain. And this is an attempt to pervert the human bloodline and also to prevent the birth of the Messiah. That's what's actually going on behind the whole deal here. So the children born of this union, they were evil beyond words. Look at Genesis 6 verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. So God sees the wickedness of man. He knew that man was hopelessly corrupt, that every desire within mankind drew him away to evil thoughts and evil desires. And it goes on. Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 till uh, 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. It sounds like the earth today, doesn't it? God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it, coat it with pitch inside and out. And this is how you are to build it. And he gives all the instructions. So God looks at human beings. He sees that, that, that mankind has ruined the earth. Made a mess of the whole deal. Mankind is unjust. Mankind is violent. Mankind's abandoned the ways of the Lord. They've turned from God completely. And God's solution was I'm just going to destroy them, wipe them out, start again. But the Bible tells us that one man among all the men on the earth was still walking in the ways of the the Lord. And God extends his grace to Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, we are told that Noah was just. That doesn't mean that he was sinless. It means that his faith was in God. As simple as that. And God had counted him righteous on the basis of that faith. And that's the way it's always been. Even now it's the same way. In Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 we are told that Abraham believed in the Lord and counted, and, it, and he, the Lord, counted it to him for righteousness. So what makes Abraham righteous? Was it because he was good and did not, was sinless? No. Simply because he believed God. That's what made him righteous. So if you're a saved person, it's because of grace through faith. If you believe God, then God gave you his righteousness, apart from any works that you've done. How good is that? That's called grace. So Noah, he's commanded to build his great ark. And Noah is told that the ark will provide him and his family and all the creatures of the earth a place of safety and sanctuary. And the ark was the only place in the whole universe where Noah and his family could actually be safe. That was then. Now, there is also still a place of sanctuary. You see, the ark Noah built was a real boat, but it was also a picture. The ark provides us a great picture of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he provides. In, In 1 Peter, Peter talks about the ark and talks about what happened in those days. So let's have a look at the ark for a moment and try and understand a bit more what this great picture is. The ark was made out of of gopher wood or cypress. That's an almost indestructible, durable kind of timber. It will not rot. Wood in the Bible is a picture for us. It's a picture of humanity. The wood picture describes the humanity of Jesus Christ. So just as those trees had to be cut down to build Noah's ark, Jesus also had to be cut down to provide a place of sanctuary for you and for me. On the cross, of course, that's where he's cut down. Look at the security of the ark, though. The ark was built and then it was covered in pitch. Well, this word is used 70 times in other Old Testament passages and each time it's translated as atonement. Interesting. Here it's translated pitch or tar, Yeah. But the other place it's all translated atonement. And literally that means a covering. So the wood alone wouldn't keep the water out, it had to be covered. That word atonement or that word covering brings to mind another picture for us. What covers us? The blood of Jesus. Exactly. Exactly, it's the shedding of blood. It's not the humanity of Jesus or the life of Jesus that saves us. It is his, de- is his death and his, the shedding of his blood that covers us. Jesus didn't come just to set us an example. He came to die. He's the only person that ever was born with the express purpose of dying for us. So it's, it's his blood that seals us and keeps us safe from the wrath of God. Just like the pitch that covered the ark, saved and sealed all that were contained within the ark from the wrath of God that was being expressed against the world. Do you see the similarity? Do you see the picture that's there for us? And look at the size of the ark. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. So that's roughly 3 million cubic feet of space inside this thing. So that's plenty big enough to hold all of those who would desire to go in there And this, again, is a picture for us. This is a picture of something big and voluminous. The sufficiency of God, the sufficiency of Jesus. Jesus is big enough to contain us all and to save us all. He's able to save every single one who comes to him. There's room for us and there's room for lots more in Jesus. Look at the shape of the ark. It's actually, I think, not really shaped that much like a boat, but more like a floating coffin. That's interesting because that speaks to me of something else. A coffin? Why do I want to see a great big huge floating coffin? Well, it reminds me of the fact that Jesus died for me and for you. He died for us and when we receive him, when we receive Jesus, we actually also enter into a coffin. We die to the world, don't we? And the sin of the world and the ways of the world so when noah enters the ark he's identifying with death when we come to jesus we're identifying with his death on the cross for us and our own death to sin that's why when we baptize someone we put them under the water it's a death experience and then there's a resurrection experience when you come up out of the water do you see the picture the picture flows from the ark to our baptism and to our relationship with jesus Look at the incredible structure of the ark. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 16, it says the ark has one door, it also has one window, and three stories. So, what do we see there? There's a lot more to see in this picture because these are the. In this, there's a picture of salvation. One door is set low in the side. Why is the one door set low in the side? So it's easy to get in. It's easy for us to be saved as well. We can enter into Christ very simply through faith. It's not difficult. And the window, particularly noted in the King James Version, is high. So everyone has to look up to see the window. We look up to God, don't we? That's why we're looking up. There are three stories inside this particular vessel that reminds me that work, the work of salvation is the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why there's three levels. Do you see the picture? It also reminds me of when a person is saved, their whole person, body, soul, and spirit, is changed. When I became a Christian, I became a new person. I'm changed. My body, my soul, and my spirit, are a different thing now. I'm actually a different order of being when I became a, when I became a Christian, I became an eternal being. It's going to be destined to be in God's presence. Praise God. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 21, it talks about the sustenance, all the the food that was in that particular vessel. So when Noah was saved by this vessel, he's also satisfied with it because inside the ark is everything he's going to need to survive the flood. In Jesus, the believer is also going to find satisfaction for their soul. He is bread for the hungry, he is water for the thirsty, and all of those who come to him will be satisfied. Were you satisfied when you came to Jesus? I was. I'm not satisfied with lots of things, but with regard to my salvation, I am satisfied. Look at the schedule of the ark. This is interesting. Genesis chapter 8 verse 4. Let me read it for you. There it is. On the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Now, what's that all about? The ark came to rest on the 17th day of the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar. Now, why is that important? Why is that mentioned in the Bible? Well, if we dig a little bit further, we find that the seventh month is when the Passover takes place. And Jesus died as they offered the Passover on the 14th day of the month. He was raised three days later, which is the 17th day of the month. There we have in the Old Testament... A picture of the resurrection of Jesus. The ark comes to rest on the same day that Jesus would rise from the dead. How wonderful is that? Do you see the picture that's there? See, contained in the in, in the book of Genesis is the gospel in all of its fullness. It's just that we can unpick it a lot better when we re- look at it from this end. Noah's name, by the way, Noah means rest. Rest. You don't have to work hard at this whole deal of getting saved. It's something where we rest. When Noah entered the ark, he found rest, he found safety, he found salvation. Being in the ark saved his life and believing in God Almighty saved his soul. Can you see now, can you see that that the ancient ark is actually a picture, a word picture and, and an illustration of Jesus? And if you can see that, if you can see that, please understand this, that the wrath of God is again about to be poured out on the world. It happened once and God put a rainbow in the sky and said, I'm not going to do this anymore, not going to flood it anymore. The next time it comes, it'll be judgment of fire. You thought that was bad. And there's only one place of safety. There's only one place that we can be saved. We don't have an ark, but we have a saviour. And his name is Jesus. He died for your sins on the cross. He rose from the dead and he's calling each one of us to come to him for salvation. We cannot adopt any religion we choose. We can't follow any plan that we want to follow. We can't just believe any doctrine we want to believe. If we're ever going to be saved, you must receive Jesus Christ as your saviour and I know that sounds like a very narrow way and that's precisely what it is there's only one way to be saved so the question of course for us is have we entered into that ark of safety of sanctuary are we saved from the wrath that is about to come upon the world there's only one place of safety Jesus Christ is our ark of safety from the wrath of God Go back, if you would, to Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. Whose idea was all of this? God's idea. The Lord said to Noah. So the ark is not Noah's idea, it's God's idea. If God hadn't have spoken to Noah, then Noah would have died in the flood. And the, and the story tells us, you know, it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There's one word that makes a huge difference in Noah's life. It's that word Grace. Noah was the one who was maintaining the ways of the Lord in those wicked days. But he was still a sinner. When the Bible says that Noah was perfect in his generations, it means that his bloodline had not been polluted. He was still the line of Seth, the godly line. But because of his sins, Noah deserved nothing more than judgment and damnation, if I might use that word, just like all sinners do. But God reached into Noah's darkness, extended his grace to him, he told Noah about the way of being saved and then he invites Noah to come into the ark to be saved. I've heard all kinds of different things said about Noah but when it comes down to this it's it's a story of pure, precious, perfect and powerful grace. If it wasn't for the grace of God, Noah would never have known about the flood and it would have killed him or the ark that would have saved him. But both these insights are given by the amazing grace of God how much we depend upon God if you're in the ark of salvation if you know Jesus today you are there why because God extended his grace to you you didn't come to God on your own you came because you came to Jesus because God and his grace and his mercy and his love drew you to himself You are saved because God looked beyond your dead, dark and deceived and doomed mind and your condition and he reached out to you in grace. God's still reaching out in grace, by the way. You would never know about the wrath of God or hell or anything about that unless God's grace showed it to you in the first place. And you'll never see the truth of your own sinful condition unless God's grace shows that to you. We never know that Jesus can save us and deliver us from hell unless God's grace shows that to us. When we get saved, God comes to a lost person and he opens their blinded eyes. We need to be praying. We need to be praying that eyes be opened. Because we know it's the will of God that their eyes be opened. So let's pray for that that God might convict the heart of sin and he draws the lost person to Jesus and he causes that person to understand that Jesus died for them and rose from the dead. God even gives us faith in the first place. You know, I could never just use my faith. It's the faith that God gave me that I used. If it hadn't been for the grace of God, Noah would have died in his sins and gone to hell. It was the grace of God that moved his faith to action and the same is true today. Salvation is still of grace, and it's all of God. Praise God. But let's have a look at the security of this particular invitation. In uh, chapter 7, verse 16. Yeah. The animals were going in, and were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. That's interesting. When God called, Noah heeded the Lord's voice. He entered the ark. He found safety and security. And we are told when it came time for the floods to come that God himself shut him in. I want you to notice a couple of amazing truths here. God doesn't say, go into the ark, like you're going on your own. He says, I want you to go and come into the ark. When I say come here, I want you to come to me. Yes? Yes? When God says, I want you to go from where you are and come into the ark, I want you to come to me. Who was on the inside of the ark? God was. God's inviting Noah and his family, come to me. Come to the place of safety. I want you to come and be with me in this place of safety. And then God himself shuts him in. That's amazing. I think it's so wonderful to think that God wants, God wants us to be with him. He says, There's only one place of safety and that's with me. Would you be in me? How do we get to be in God? Through Christ. I'm in Christ, it says in the New Testament, doesn't it? That's my place of safety. That's my ark. That's what protects me from the wrath of God, which is to come. And then God shuts him in. So God controls the door. He determines who goes in, who stays in. And he seals them in. And they're safe until they arrive at their destination. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, We are sealed unto the day of our redemption. Nice Bible-speak religious words. It just means that I am kept safe, I am shut in by God until the final time when I see him face to face. That's good, isn't it? Isn't it something to be excited about? Yes, let's get excited, please. I am sealed in Christ. Jesus seals, we are sealed within Jesus himself. We are safe, we are secure. So Noah was kept safe in the ark by the mighty power of God. And the Lord saw to it that the ark rode the waves safely and reached its intended destination. Similarly, we, the saints of God in Christ, we are kept by the power of God until we reach our destination. Now think of this for a moment. The Bible describes the flood and says that the, that the waters rose until they were some 22 feet above the highest mountain. You Ever been out in the ocean in a wild sea? I used to race on yachts. Great stuff, lots of fun. I'd love to do it again. But anyway, we were out in a storm one time and I was on the, up the mast getting a halyard that had broken down. And oh, the movement was amazing. Now imagine the whole earth covered with water and then a storm. The movement. Whoa. But wherever the waters rose high, the ark rose even higher. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, it says in Romans. You See the picture? Sin can be incredible, but God's grace is even more incredible. Now, I'm sure that that trip on that particular ark was not a pleasure cruise. That boat must have pitched and rolled horribly. Noah might have even battled a bit with seasickness, I reckon. But the ark kept its cargo safe until it reached those mountains of rest. God never promises us a smooth voyage, never. But he does promise that our landing will be safe. We will get to the other side. Noah survived because he believed God and he entered into the ark by faith. He could have doubted the integrity and the ability of the ark. He could have failed to believe the promises of God. Noah could have stayed on the outside and if he had, he would have died like all the rest. But when God's invitation came to him, Noah entered the ark by faith and he was saved. I want to call to your attention one last fact before I finish up this message this morning. When God shut the door of the ark, Noah was on the inside looking out. The world was on the outside trying to look in. There's only one ark. There's only one door. There's only one way to be saved. And that is God's way. There's only one way to God and to God's way, and that is through the Lord Jesus. He says, I am the door. The picture is there. It's an Old Testament picture, which Jesus talks about in the New Testament, which is just as relevant today. Jesus is the door. There is no other way. When the flood of God's judgment is poured out one last time on this rebellious earth, there's only one thing that's going to matter. Which side of the door are you on? That's all that mattered then, and that's all that matters now. I found this little poem or verse for him. I'm not sure where it comes from. I found it someplace on the internet and wrote it down a while ago. It says, one door and only one, and yet its sides are two. I am on the inside. On which side are you? You know it? It's It's a chorus. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. It's profound, but it's so true. Is God calling you today to come into the ark of salvation are you ready to flee the wrath that is coming upon the earth we need to come into the ark we need to come into Christ and be saved today and I know most of you are saved but I keep on saying it because I'm never quite sure I don't know the condition of your heart just like you don't know the condition of mine we won't know until the last day so I've got to make this appeal every time but let me tell you something brothers and sisters we are in the we are in the invitation business We need to make sure that other people are invited. And God uses you and me to invite people to come into the ark of salvation. That is our job as church. In these last days, it's going to get pretty wild. It's going to get more difficult. And our job is to make sure that wherever possible, we simply hand out the invitation. Whether someone accepts the invitation or not is not your problem. Our job is to hand out the invitation. Would you be with me in that? Let's make sure that we are inviting people. It's a simple thing. I want to give you an invitation. Come into the ark of safety. Come and know Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the incredible invitation which you issued so many years ago that it's still an invitation. It's a place of sanctuary. It's a place where you are sovereign over all things and we are so incredibly secure in the invitation that you give father we thank you that we have been able to accept that invitation but now we do pray father in these last days that you would fill your church with such a spirit of power and ability that we might preach the gospel with great conviction that many hearts would be opened, that they too might receive the invitation and say yes i want to be on the inside i want to be on the same side of the door as you guys are on lord help us to do this effectively for your glory we pray In Jesus' name.